The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, a Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and with us today, as usual, are The Athletic's Laurie Whitwell. Welcome back. And Andy Mitten as well. Uh, another quiet week, Laurie, to walk back to, eh? Yeah, what's been going on? I don't know. Uh, any, any latest news on anything? I can't believe that this keeps going. Every single week we seem to have a major story to deal with, don't we, Andy? Yes, it's the Manchester United soap opera and I'm, I'm glad it was like this. I spoke recently to... Uh, an 86-year-old, Keith Dewurst, who covered Manchester United in the 50s. And he became a renowned playwright. And he quoted David Meek, who covered United for 50 years. And he said he always preferred it when the car wash was on full-time rather than just drip, drip, drip. And I like that line. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the car wash has definitely been running full-time just lately, hasn't it? Right, coming up today then, we'll react to the breaking news that Ed Woodward is leaving his role as the Executive Vice Chairman of Manchester United. We'll look back at the job that he's done and assess the state of the club that he leaves behind. It's over to you now, of course, Richard Arnold, who takes over as the Chief Executive. Right, let's get into it then, Laurie. Woodward was executive vice chairman. Arnold is the CEO. Is it the same role? Is it a similar role? What is it? The different title is an indication as to how they will approach, um, you know, the, the kind of senior job at United United on the ground, you know, in England. Ed Woodward, executive vice chairman, so had, you know, a hands-on approach to the football side of things, you know, clearly picking managers, involved in the recruitment involved in the negotiations with agents. Richard Arnold doesn't want that. You know, he's, he's had a look at the situation and according to uh, what United are saying, he will allow the football side to handle those kind of calls, give them more autonomy, control over budget. So you're talking about John Murtz, who's the football director, you know, assisted by Darren Fletcher, the technical director, who's, you know, sort of job that I think perhaps need, does need a bit of clarity. That's the difference between the, the two guys. You know, we'll see in the fullness of time, I suppose, how that actually shakes down because it's perhaps one thing to say that it's going to be different and to give the football side greater powers. Um, I think particularly on budget, that's a, that's a key factor, you know, as to how money is spent and, and what decisions are made. I suppose we'll only see that, you know, once the crunch comes. I mean, I guess the, the biggest crunch is going to be the next manager, you know, in the summer that they've already announced that they, they want to look for. So that be a key factor um, for Arnold to deal with. He, he will be, you know, he'll be the ultimate guy that, that says yes or no to certain things in conjunction with Joel Glazer. He has a, a good relationship with Joel Glazer from their time, you know, together for years. You know, um, Richard Arnold was there with Edward Wood in the first London office that Manchester United had before Sir Alex Ferguson retired, where they were talking about sponsorship deals and ringing around the globe to to get, you know, commercial partners on board. So he's, you know, very much had a, a strong relationship with Joel Glazer. So, so from that point of view, you know, we, we, we did a piece when Edward would step down and, and one of a football executive in the industry said there's no way that United will give this job to somebody that they don't know. You know, that Joel Glazer wants to know who the person is. And Richard Arnold was the name that everyone kind of thought he's gonna step aside into this new role and that's become you know, become the case. So yeah, there's continuity there and I think people might rightly look at it and go, Well, is is it gonna change really from what Ed Woodward's been producing? But to all intents and purposes, Arnold is prepared to give the football side greater autonomy. Are you encouraged by that, Andy? I think there was a lot of confusion about how much um, influence Ed had on the football side. And I think he would admit that himself. Uh, he was adamant that he made no direct football decisions. But it seemed um, ambiguous at times. And there were times when he did make football decisions. So he was the man who would have to say no 
to managers such as Jose Mourinho and there needs to be more clarity within that area. I remember interviewing Richard Arnold five years ago and asking him about a football issue and straight away he answered, you'll have to ask Ed on that. So he, I think he can learn from Ed and Ed's mistakes. Richard Arnold's a very tough negotiator, so maybe when it comes to negotiating for transfers, he's the best person in the club to be doing that. He's one of the main reasons why Manchester United's commercial revenue shot up from around 40 million when he arrived to well over 300 million. And he's based at Old Trafford, whereas Ed was largely based in London. He's made a lot of efforts to engage with the fans, to be fair to him. And on issues um, such as uh, the atmosphere, heavily involved in the foundation, uh, communicating with fan groups. And that shouldn't be taken for granted because David Gill cut all that in the wake of the very controversial Glazer takeover. And because Gill was overseeing a club and team which was winning everything, wasn't a big issue for a lot of fans. But I think it's really important that there's communication between fans and the club. And good has come from that. Ticket prices have not gone up in a decade. I've done United We Stand for a long time, and the strongest theme in the first 10 years was ticket prices going up by 20% next season, 15%, 30%. It was ridiculous. They stopped going up. And Richard has been at the forefront of that, and can be, partly because there's easier ways for United to make money, i.e. by doing huge sponsorship deals, and he's been at the part uh, at the forefront of that. So I think he's got to delegate better than than Ed did. I think that the club will have numerous focal points now, which is probably better for him because when one individual's getting monstered when things go wrong, that's not great for that person either. But the proof will be in how successful United are on the pitch. That's how fans make the judgments. The leading executives have always been unpopular and always will be. Even when United were winning everything, Martin Edwards was getting hammered. Peter Kenyon was getting hammered. We had a spoof column in United We Stand where someone would write in and blame their daffodils not flowering on whoever was in charge of United at the time and blame problems in his garden. It was a gardening column. And he just blamed David Gill for every single issue in his life. There will always be an element of that among fans. So Richard Arnold has got a very tough job and he'll need a very thick skin, which he does have, but it's going to be difficult. And we're talking now through the prism of uh, some really bad performances and results. We're not talking at the end of April, uh, end of August when United were top of the league and things were looking far rosier than they do now. No, absolutely. This news was confirmed earlier on uh, amongst headlines, even your headline, Laurie, from your piece that's on The Athletic at the minute. Dressing room factions and disillusioned players, the task facing United's new chief exec. I mean, it's not exactly uh, the best of best of situations to be walking into. But beyond that, headlines this week, Toxic United, Stink Bomb, 17 stars unhappy. It's quite a moment, Laurie, isn't it, to be stepping into this role? And it's quite a moment for, for Woodward to be going through with stepping away. And it is stepping away. There's no sort of wolf of Warwick Road, as we were joking. I'm not fucking leaving. He's, he's leaving. <laughs> That's a great gift, isn't it, that one? Um, yeah, no no consultancy for Edward Wood. That was rumoured. That was kind of talked about. I do wonder if there were discussions to that end and actually they, they thought, no, a clean break is, is better, you know, both from his 
behalf and the clubs. Um, I don't think he's decided what he's going to do next yet. Um, there's, there's a couple of football board meetings that I think he'll attend and then he'll step away uh, from the club. Obviously, he'll be available by phone. You know, He's obviously got links to the club for many years if they need to sort of tap into him a little bit. But, you know, I would have guessed that he's going to still be involved in football because it's, it's what he's known for so many years now. Um, but nothing at United in an official sense. So yeah, he is leaving. Richard Arnold is entering. You know, welcome. Welcome to the big gig, Richard. Um, you know, I know that he's not going to be the guy picking the team. He's not going to be the guy picking the players to sign. Um, he will obviously be involved in the next manager, but ultimately it, he is now going to be the focal point for you know, perhaps the 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 ills or or the the successes or the failures at Manchester United. So, as Andy said, he is a strong personality. I think anyone that's dealt with him uh, on the commercial side, across the negotiating table, appreciates is somebody that knows what he wants from a, a particular set of talks and knows the value of things. Whether that can translate to football business is a different kettle of fish because you know what one person thinks, you know, what one player is worth a certain amount in someone's eyes is worth a different amount in another person's eyes, and it's it's detecting that and knowing, finding the gaps in the market where you can you can get potential and get a cheaper deal um, than perhaps might be seen by other clubs. But yeah, it's a it's a difficult situation at Manchester United now, which we touch on in, in the piece. You know, Ralph Ranick has come in. It's not been a long time that he's had there, but already. You know, you're seeing sort of doubts creeping in from, you know, perhaps what he's entered and, and what squad that he's inherited. And then also the playing side of things from, um, you know, perhaps what the coaches are delivering. There's just questions, really. It's, How bad is it, Laurie? It's difficult to say because, you know, without speaking to every single player, um, you know, you're not going to get a, a full picture. At the same time, you know, there's, there's people that we trust that have given us a sort of good representation and Andy's obviously got his own thoughts on the matter. I think the, the main issue is that you've got a bloated squad and this is something that you can land at Ed Woodward's door because squad management is such a crucial part of um, modern football in terms of having a squad where players feel engaged and feel like they've got a chance to play each week and then the players that don't get rid of, sell them make some profit there or, or get some money back in the building because you look at the way that United have handled sales in, in, in recent years, it's, it's been rubbish. Daniel James, 25 million, that was a good bit of business. Profit on what they bought him for, it was done quickly and, and with benefit to him. You know, he's out playing at Leeds. United haven't got an un, unhappy player in the squad. But there's other players there. Jesse Lingard, he, he you know could have left last summer for a decent price because West Ham, he'd done really well on loan there. Actually, United said, no, we want to keep you. And now you can debate who who was that. Was it Solskjaer saying, no, we want to keep him because I, I can see him doing well? Or was it the club thinking, actually, no, we, you know, we, there's not a, an offer on the table that's good enough for us, so we'll, we'll keep him in the building. And now he's one of the players that is unhappy. You know, he's looking at a January exit, potentially. More likely, he's going to stick around and you know leave on a free come the summer. But you've also got Anthony Marshall, who's publicly said he wants out. And, you know, so I don't think he's necessarily the kind of player you want around the squad where they're trying to pull together and you've got players there that are saying, actually, you know, I'd rather be somewhere else. And that kind of mood just creeps out, you know, into the rest of the squad and those players on the periphery who were kind of undecided really can have their opinion swayed because of other players that perhaps are thinking, well, get me out of here. Yeah, there was a Jock Steen quote doing the rounds on Twitter earlier, sort of saying if there's six players in your squad that don't like you, keep them away from the five players who aren't sure. Um, and obviously that's not just 11 players now, is it? It's, it's 25, 30 even in Manchester United's case. What's your thoughts on it, Andy? What have you heard about the the sort of 
situation and the seriousness of, of this and how retrievable it is. How, how does this change now, considering how negative the stories and the atmosphere seems to be? Anyone who's listened to this podcast in recent weeks or has read The Athletic will have had lots of insight. Now, fans may have chosen to ignore stories like the one I wrote about when uh, Kieran McKenna, Michael Carrick and Martin Pert left. And I said, that is a major issue at Manchester United. People didn't want to hear that because he had a bright, shiny new manager and they associated those names with the failed regime of the previous manager. And I wrote that on The Athletic and my sources were, were impeccable, multiple sources. As Laurie says, there's no such thing as the players are happy, the players are unhappy. 25 of them will have completely different opinions and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out who some of them are. If you're not playing and you're being dropped, you're not going to be as happy and delighted with the manager, the interim, the caretaker, whatever, as you are as if you're, you're starting every single uh, game. Uh, there are issues which I've spoken about, um, about the coaches which have come in and they're inexperienced. They've got a very tough job, to be fair to them. Ralph Rangnick has got a very tough job, which I've said right from the start, even though he's got that excellent CV in terms of some of the best managers in the world talking up how great he is. Got a really, really tough job. And fans are not stupid. They're, they're looking at what they're seeing on the pitch and looking at unconvincing performances and results. And they're forming their own opinions now. There hasn't been a new manager bounce, as happened when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in. And doubts start to creep in. And when you know that your boss is moving on, probably... Uh, from his position at the end of the season, I'd say that means that more doubts come in, not fewer doubts coming in. When the team are losing and playing badly, people tend to apportion blame elsewhere. I've given numerous examples on this podcast over, over the years, but the stories that came out yesterday about a disharmony in Carrington, that wasn't that just didn't come out overnight. That wasn't a leak. And some people were saying to me, why have the players just leaked this? As if the players had just got into a room and going, right, we're going to tell journalists this. <laughs> Journalism just doesn't work like that. Laurie and I will speak to lots of people, multiple sources, to get a feeling of what is going on inside Manchester United. And I, I stand by my sources and I stand by my, my, my stories. There are definite issues there. And we've, we've spoke about them and written about them. Just that fans don't want to hear it sometimes unless it is spelled out very, very clearly to them. So in terms of what happens next then for United, Laurie, uh, we'll talk about Edward Wood's legacy, what he leaves behind and, and assesses near nine years at the helm at United in a minute. But just, just on Rangnick for the minute, Andy's talking there about who the next manager will be and that being a major decision. You touched on it before as well. There's a sense really that there's a plan for Manchester United with, with Rangnick as interim manager and then being a consultant beyond that. But the way things are going at the minute, if if he doesn't retrieve this situation, does that not put into jeopardy everything that's supposed to happen in the future? It's a really interesting point because he's clearly a super intelligent guy. Um, he's worked both on the football side of things and the business side of things where, you know, he's, he's grown, you know, two different German sort of institutions now kind of from scratch. I mean, the Red Bull success that he's had is, is remarkable and they are, you know, elite in terms of what they have been able to do in the market, you know, the, the way they've 
box clever and, and finding value that isn't seen by others and the way they've managed to you know, bring a cohesive team together. So that I think that is so useful for Manchester United where, and he, and he will challenge them. He, he's got a strong sense of personality. He, he knows his own mind. And I think he is already looking at the situation perhaps and thinking, actually, I can add value here to Manchester United You know, in that executive level tier. Not management level too. I think. I think. Listen, you, you still you've got to go with him. Let's let's not sort of just throw him out. You know, after you know a month. You know, he's obviously he hasn't managed. You know, for you know, I think it's towards it two seasons in the past ten years. So fine, that, that's one aspect to it. But he is he's a smart guy. And he, he understands people and he understands football. So I think you have to just you know ride with it. And I and I accept that perhaps if results don't go the right way. That that will you know perhaps lessen his authority with the players perhaps I, th- I think United there's no doubt you know United have been following him for a number of years you know John Murtagh went out to see him a few years ago Ed Woodward speaks highly of him Richard Arnold likewise so they're sort of backing him and, and I think the consultancy will have genuine meaning now it, it can't it's it's to be decided you know it, it could be that you know when it comes to it it's sort of like we'll we'll take your advice and, and do our own thing but i do i do think there's an openness to actually listen to what he has to say and i think that'd be really beneficial to manchester united in him the contacts that he's got in world football with agents and other recruitment staff at different clubs and his ideas anyway i think it's i think he'd be a useful person to have in the hierarchy whatever happens as in his managerial term this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. So, Ed Woodward is no more at Manchester United, or he won't be from the start of February. It's been announced. He's stepping away from his role as the executive vice chairman of the club. He's been there nearly nine years now, incredibly. Of course, it was 2013 and that summer of change for Manchester United when he was appointed to that role after David Gill had left the club uh, from his role as a chief executive. Danny Taylor's take on this is on The Athletic at the minute, um, I like to look beyond headlines, but like your story, Laurie, in the headline that you had about the situation at Manchester United, it paints a picture, really. Um, Ed Woodward at Manchester United, like watching a beautiful painting being ripped apart. Is that fair, Andy? Is that your your take from it as well, like, like Danny's written there? You can go and read that piece, of course, on The Athletic now. Ed Woodward failed to win the Premier League in all of his years in charge and that is a failure for a club like Manchester United given how much Manchester United spent on players given the calibre of the managers who came in and that was after United being the preeminent and dominant team in English football in mitigation Ed Woodward was devastated when Sir Alex Ferguson announced that he was going to be leaving Manchester United and I think anybody manager or executive would struggle to follow uh, Ferguson and that's one issue what I think fans struggle to accept is that there's been a cycle which has gone on and on and Manchester United despite finishing second a couple of times have failed to mount a serious title challenge and that is not good enough and the form has dropped right off we're talking now when the form has been really pad and as the top man Ed Woodward 
has got to take some responsibility for that. I'm sure he will say that he's made some mistakes and he learned from those mistakes, but he made mistakes. And when you're at the top, if you're making mistakes, some of them are costly and they've been proved to be costly. I think his background as a banker from Essex who was involved in the takeover, uh, the, the controversial and highly leveraged takeover of Manchester United would never endear himself to any Manchester United fans. I interviewed him twice in depth in 13 and in 19. I'm glad I did it. We put really tough questions to him and he was good enough to answer them. I got a lot of stick for doing it. And I'm like, well, do you just want me to interview people you like? Do you just want me to do former club legends where you can all say, great piece, Andy, great player he was. I'm sorry, journalism is not like that. And I did him at times when things were looking pretty fraught at Manchester United, as they do right at, at the moment. He would maintain that it's a stable business. I think that's a fair comment. Manchester United still makes profits. The wage bill is very, very high. United can go for the type of players they went for in the summer. But United have underachieved under, under Ed Woodward. And the recruitment has been underwhelming. And as the top man, he's got to take some responsibility for that because he ultimately made the decisions which led to that happening. Andy said there, Laurie, that Ed will say that he's learnt from his mistakes and... and you know, throughout his time, there has been issues which he sort of tried to move past it and learn from. But how do you think he'll reflect on it as a whole now he is stepping away, how it's gone in charge of United? He'll admit there's mistakes. As Andy said, he's a he's, a, he's kind of a personable guy. When, when you speak to him, it's difficult to be, you know, enraged by what he says because um, he, he speaks fairly plainly uh, in terms of, you know, he seems like he, he can accept the, the issues that he's arisen under his stewardship. And But I suppose that's not really, you know, good enough because, you know, he is the guy with the keys to the castle, Manchester United Castle. What do you think he'll think the mistakes are, Laurie? I think he will say that timing is has been is, an issue at various points. Um, you know, picking the right managers. Clearly, he hasn't ultimately picked the right managers to get Manchester United to the top of the tree. Now, you might say that Pep Guardiola at Manchester City has, has sort of changed the dynamic there and he would perhaps point to different points in which United have finished above Chelsea. I think, is it four out of the last six seasons? Finished above Liverpool, three out of the last six seasons. So he, he would perhaps say that it's a question of time and, and if they could have just peaked you know, at the right moment. But then again, you know, United got 83 points under Jose Mourinho. They've never really had enough points in a Premier League season to, to win the title. Okay, that might have in another season done, you know, won the title, but not in this last sort of six, seven years where the game's changed. So I think he would accept that. I think he would accept that he did become too involved with the football side of things to begin with. Um, you know, he obviously made comments about, you know, the like Sebastian Schweinsteiger, um, he signed players like Radamal Falcao where it wasn't necessarily the recruitment side that were saying sign this guy, it was agents. And I think he, he should have been stronger in certain moments. He was learning on the job clearly. So Alex Ferguson leaving when he took over, you know, was a huge thing. You know, I don't think anybody coming after Sir Alex would have had an easy time of things. But as Andy's saying, the, the, the primary issue for me, and I don't know if Edward Wood would accept this, is that he was the guy that got the Glazers the takeover in a highly toxic, leveraged buyout. Fans were not accepting it. So Alex Ferguson didn't want it to begin with and obviously changed his mind once it became apparent that he couldn't do anything to stop it. And so therefore the whole basis of him being at Manchester United is warped. It's not, you know, it's not like, you know, he's 
they've kind of invested loads of money into the club. They haven't. They're taking money out of the club, the Glazers, and he's facilitating that. So whatever happens on the football side, and I think that's that's maybe one of his mistakes. He, he perhaps felt that he could get warmth from Manchester United fans if he brought success. Um, it, it just would never happen because ultimately they're in this situation, this locked situation where they've got owners that want to use the club for money and he's facilitated that. The timing point's re- really interesting because... I remember when I spoke to Woodward in 13 and he mentioned a a young manager at Dortmund called Jurgen Klopp and he described him on the record as a genius. Now, had the timing have been different, I've no doubt that Klopp would have come to Manchester United. But at the time he moved to Liverpool, Louis van Gaal was doing all right at Manchester United. And I also remember specifically getting a call from United at a time when some stories had surfaced that they were going for... Pep Guardiola and a, a couple of decent journalists had written those stories in terms of their contacts in Spain and United were absolutely adamant that Guardiola was going to City so they, they, they tried for it they'd asked the question and would have been negligent if they didn't ask the question and again that's about timing because City knew a long time before they got Pep that Pep was coming and I've, I've cross-detailed that I spoke to the man Manuel Pellegrini who Pep replaced and, and he knew for a long time that Pep was coming so the timing has been pretty unfortunate for Manchester United and I don't recall any complaints when David Moyes was appointed Louis van Gaal was appointed Jose Mourinho was appointed Ole Gunnar Solskjaer there was a bit more doubt actually but once he'd gone on that run people uh, completely warmed to the idea of it so the managers have failed as well and it's all happened under Woodward's watch, so that will tarnish his legacy at Manchester United. But as Laurie rightly says, he was the banker who facilitated the takeover. I suppose a criticism of that as well is that it gives the impression that you know you asked a question about Klopp, you asked a question about Guardiola, but City and Liverpool both managed to manoeuvre themselves into a position where they got those people as opposed to just asking a question and getting no, Andy. Yeah, they did do. And record books speak for themselves. You've got to be in it to win it. You've got to have those chance conversations. You've got to have the contacts to have those chance conversations. Some of Manchester United's greatest signings have been because of sliding doors moments. That is the way that football is. It's the same as a journalist. Knowledge is really important. Now, to be fair to Woodward, he did build up knowledge. He became close to the key agents who who were the gatekeepers to a lot of the key talents. And when some of the players were signed... Again, United fans were not complaining when Schweinsteiger came in, for example, or when Alexis Sanchez came in. We all got swept along with that because we're all idiots sometimes. Well, he was good at the piano as well, wasn't he, to be fair? I mean, I didn't like the piano at the time, but just look for the complaints when it was happening. There were none. And I actually spoke to Richard Arnold about the Sanchez signing, and his view was, we're trying to do stuff a bit differently, we want to engage with people. And I said to him, well, that's not for me, but... I think it's fair comment. Look, look at it in hindsight, you'd say it was an absolute disaster, but that's only because the player was a disaster. If he'd gone on to become as good as we hoped he would be, people would have been saying, not only that, he plays the piano really well too. What a hero. But that's the point, isn't it? In that somebody in that role should be able to not get swept away like fans do get swept away. They should be the ones asking the questions. And if people had asked the questions about Alexis Sanchez, they would have found actually towards the end of his time at Arsenal, he was a grump and he wasn't getting on with people. 
and he wasn't actually at the level that you know United were hoping to get. Okay, Man City were involved. United, you know, it seems like United react to Man City's involvement in in a few cases, and that's what you want from your senior executive to be able to detect those moments when actually this is happening, this isn't happening, this is why this might be happening. And you know, we talked about you mentioned Jurgen Klopp there. He got put off because Ed Woodward described it as an adult Disneyland, and he wanted to work in a more grown-up environment. Now, you know, that's so. Therefore, yeah, they do ask the questions, but not having the kind of personality to convince these guys that are obviously, you know, mad geniuses, aren't they? You know, Klopp, Guardiola, they're a bit crazy. So you need to have somebody at United that kind of is on their level where they think, actually, I want to be a part of this. If they've got Ed Woodward, who's background is in banking and is you know a nice guy to talk to but ultimately his approach to Manchester United is ultimately to, to have it as a good solid business where they make money they increase the commercial revenue the glazers can take dividends then is a is a is a genius manager going to be one going going to be want to be part of that and that's the question now that we've got going forward where in the summer can you convince the kind of elite managers to, to come in and I suppose that does reduce the pool maybe of, of, of who you're going to get because United say you know they're the biggest club in the world you know they've got the biggest eyeballs sometimes they don't act like it you know in terms of the signings that they go for there's a suggestion that actually that's a bit too expensive I know it might sound crazy because you've you know, they signed Cristiano Ronaldo in the summer you know they've signed Rafael Varane um, you know they, they have got Jaden Sancho who's you know a, a really um, elite I think European young talent but at the same time there's other moments where they've kind of shied away from really pushing the button on saying yeah we're, we're going to make a statement here and I think that is something that needs to sort of be addressed really. Players like Jude Bellingham like like Haaland for example United should have got those players yeah. even if it meant pushing the boat out and and Laurie's right it's all about the attention to detail did people in football know that Schweinsteiger wasn't as good and that's why Bayern Munich were letting him go. Were Manchester United just buying a name because names create headlines and names have got reputations and with the benefit of hindsight you'd have to say you'd have to say yes is there a bit of a concern about Varane as well with the way that the first half of the season's gone for him fitness wise you know Varane's probably missed as many matches as he's played less so one person did say to me my only concern about Varane um, is his injuries now, I looked at his stats. I spoke to lots of people in Madrid when he signed. I did a big piece for The Athletic on it. And I got pretty glowing reports. And I sense it was more down to Real Madrid's financial situation. It wasn't about them needing to build a stadium. That was reported. That was a completely separate loan. It was more about them bringing young players through, realising that they had a couple of years of transition. They did offer him a new contract, but they didn't push as hard. And he knew that. And once he knew that Real Madrid didn't really, really want to keep him. And I was told by multiple sources, Real Madrid want to get money together to go for an Mbappe, to go for a Haaland uh, type player. So I, I think it's too early to call on, on Varane. I still think he's an excellent player. We haven't seen it enough so far. And that young elite European talent that Laurie's mentioning in Jado Sancho, we haven't seen that either. And then... Cristiano coming back, there's definitely a commercial element to that. And Ed Woodward was absolutely integral to the signing of Cristiano Ronaldo. Well, that's another can of worms, whether that was the right or wrong thing to do. And I think United fans are, are, are divided on that as well. But he's done far more so far than Varane and Sancho. 
So obviously, yeah, as Andy's saying, there's questions about signings and then also re-signings, you know, with the likes of Eric Bailly getting a new contract last summer to 2024, um, Juan Mata getting a new contract for, okay, it's only a year, but he's still there and not playing. Phil Jones, it was fantastic to see him back and, and how well did he do? The picture of him jumping up and everyone else looks miserable. See, that's wow. it. I mean, obviously, you know, pictures can be taken at certain moments to show certain things. But oh, absolutely, it, by the it, way, but it's a great picture. It is, it's yeah. a great picture. And he's good, good leap on him. Um, absolutely. And it, it was yeah. nice to see. And I, I do think beyond the kind of so perhaps nostalgic oh, you know, Phil Jones back, you know, and he's, he's done great. He did do sort of smart things with the ball, you know, when he brought it out. and His pass completion was like way beyond crazy. everyone, wasn't it, in that yeah. first half? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So obviously, but at the same time, he got a new contract after like, you know, 69 games in four years. It was a quick negotiation, you know, I'm led to believe where it was, let's get this done. And he's got you know, a long-term contract. And that's not to denigrate Phil Jones at all, but I think what you do with those plays in those moments then adds into what a manager can do on the on the training pitches and in his team selections because you know I counted 29 players United have got senior players okay four goalkeepers and you know various other players at different sort of stages of development but it's it's, it's a lot of players and then the seven out on loan um, at the moment to, to have to kind of manage that because you're going to get you, you know Ralph Randick's going to have to leave out a third pretty much each week so you, you instantly you've got players there that are like well what, what what purpose am I serving here and that just permeates you know so I mean some managers you know like to have a really small squad you know 23 perhaps 22 just to keep it really tight and, and sharp and okay that might then mean that you've got to play a young player at certain times if there's injuries but there's certainly a balance to be struck where United have I think been too cautious and haven't been dynamic enough and sensing when to sell a player, get a good price for them. You, you look at Chelsea last summer, and I know you can say you know they're governed by you know an oligarch, and you know perhaps normal rules don't apply. But at the same time, they've they've transformed into a, a more of a self-sustaining business primarily because of the way they can play the market. And you know they made 102 million pounds in sales last summer, but it was like Tammy Abraham and Kurt Zuma, players that aren't necessarily they're on the periphery anyway so United have got quite a few players I think that they could sell to get good money in and then that would mean that they can actually push the boat out a little bit more on certain signings where for example Jack Grealish and you can debate his merits or not you know was probably available for about 80 million the summer where United actually went for Donny van der Beek instead for for 40 million but then they also signed Ahmad you know for 37-ish you know all all things told for Kundu Palistri 10 million and now those players might become good players in time but for the same kind of price you know you could have got a ready-made player you know for the Premier League so I think those kind of decisions are are really interesting and it's, it's going to be John Murta's role that primarily now and he's new into the position in, in a certain way you know he's obviously been at United for a number of years more dealing with the academy side of things how he then takes that step up to senior football is going to be interesting he's already shown his you know agency I suppose in picking Ralph Ranick for the interim post and, and getting him to, to join up um, as, as I said I think he's open to Ranick being in that you know decision making process um, come, come the summer um, but it's not set in stone so it's still to be decided but I think yeah having a squad where actually people feel engaged and energised each week is, is really important So just to round off the chat then about Woodward can we sort of rewind to 2013 Andy um, Woodward stepped in at the same time as David Moyes Sir Alex Ferguson and David Gill stepped away simultaneously and there seemed to be sort of a, an experience vacuum at Old Trafford that that United were fighting against. Um, 
was it was it doomed from the start almost in that sort of scenario or am I being too dramatic no you're not being too dramatic and I think Edward would 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 admit that David Moyes was put into a management structure which which wasn't fair on him and United invested heavily into the, the notion of the manager having complete control and, and they were two huge figures weren't they Ferguson and Gill huge figures huge figures, huge figures. and it would have been difficult for anybody uh, yeah. to come in after that not only that David Moyes decided to remove Ferguson's lieutenants who could have actually helped him so Eric Steele uh, Rennie Moulinstein Mike Phelan all left and I think David Moyes and I've spoke to David Moyes about this he had his reasons for bringing his own people in and that does happen in, in football but lots can be learned from the mistakes which were made from that summer, especially in the transfer recruitment that summer. So Edward Wood came in and said, our squad needs little retooling, okay? Now, you could just about buy that line because United were champions, but I can remember speaking to David Moyes two months in when the alarm bells were not ringing and him saying, there's a massive, massive job to do here. Off the record, he was saying that. There's a massive job to do here. And actually, he was proved to be right. Now, he wasn't there to do the job. He didn't get the plays he wanted. He wanted Cesc Fabregas. He was told he was getting Cesc Fabregas. Cesc Fabregas um, rang him up to talk about joining Manchester United. He ended up with Marouane Fellaini five minutes before the transfer deadline. So it wasn't easy for David Moyes either. And he's proved that he's a decent manager, especially in the last two seasons... Was he cut out to be Manchester United manager? Probably not. He looked nervous half the time. But 2013 was a really interesting period. It wasn't a great period because on one hand, United are winning the league. Remember those days. And then on the other, it started to implode. And within months, I can remember speaking to a Southampton player after a game. And he's like, we can't believe that you're not actually that good anymore. We were the better team today. Like giving me abuse because he, he, he knew we were supported. We were better than you. Me and him were better than you. So the way what Manchester United then did is they went and signed him, Morgan Schneiderlin. But was he a good signing? He wasn't. Now, if you speak to Morgan Schneiderlin, as I did do for the Athletic, he'll say, well, it wasn't a good signing because this, 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 this. So you, you, you're getting multifaceted, multi-layered mistakes. And Laurie made the point there about signing Ahmad and Palestre. I think part of that was because United were really fearful about the implications of Brexit. And it is a big issue for United that players are running down the contracts. That's why players like Juan Mata are getting new contracts. Juan Mata just wants to play football. So why sign a contract? Because he was led to believe that he would be playing football. So there's not just one version of the truth here. There's different sides to all of these stories. And it's fascinating. And sadly for Manchester United, other clubs are doing it better than United and are coming out on top and you look at Liverpool's squad right now look at Manchester City and Chelsea Laurie said and Chelsea paid top top dollar that's not often reported they blow others out the water not not in terms of the headline figures or them charts that you see saying this is the total wage bill what Chelsea do is bang you're being paid you're being paid up front Manchester United and others they they incentivize but then United, as Woodward would definitely say, and Arnold would say as well, we've got to create our own money. We've got, to, we've got to bring in our own money. We can't just go to benefactors and say, can we have X number of, of, of millions because we need to do this or, or do that. 
And it's to United's credit that they do that. Then we can argue again, well, how much is the club losing or have lost paying interest payments or dividends to, to very unpopular owners? Yeah, we could do another podcast on that, I'm sure. Laurie, just to bring it up to date then, we're sort of talking there about the situation that Woodward stepped into in 2013. The one thing I left out was the fact that the team were the, the champions of England at that point and had won the league by, I think, 11 points uh, the season before Woodward came in and David Moyes came in, of course. He's leaving them in seventh, 22 points off the summit of English football. Midway through a season, of course, and with matches in hand and, and all that sort of thing. But is there a symmetry in some ways? Because... Richard Arnold's now stepping into a, a situation where the manager is an interim, where, the, where there's an, a permanent appointment to be made. Again, where there seems to be a bit of a, an experienced vacuum. We're talking about John Murta stepping up into a, into a role and being given more autonomy than he's ever had before in this certain, in this certain position. Are there symmetries in that sense? I suppose so. And we were debating off air, weren't we? Who who had the the bigger hospital pass, I suppose? Um, you know, Ed Woodward, you know, trying to continue with something that Sir Alex Ferguson had, had taken years to construct and, and was very tailored to his demands and his in- incredible personality and determination and drive. Or Richard Arnold, who is, it seems, you know, got factions of different levels, you know, in the playing squad, you know, amongst the hierarchy. How do you kind of, galvanise that all together I suppose you'd hope the only way is up <laughs> currently um, with United <laughs> we've thought that before haven't we <laughs> I know we have we have I mean sure, surely it can't get any worse but um, I mean Danny Taylor in his piece you know really interesting sort of stats um, says that you know on average since 2013 United have finished 21.75 points behind the, the champions which they are where they are which is yeah and this season you know, 22 points so they're basically level <laughs> uh, 22 points back from Man City Closer to um, you know the bottom position than um, Manchester City, and and that is that that will hurt. Um, I suppose the only thing you could say is that Pep Guardiola has such a grasp of that club. Um, what will happen when he steps away? You know, is it even going to be as soon as this summer? Um, there's always been sort of rumours about when he's going to say, actually, that's my time. Um, I'm happy with what I've done. See you later. Possibly if they win the Champions League, that might be a time to depart. And, and would that change the dynamic in English football? You've obviously got Jurgen Klopp, who's got a very successful sort of system at Liverpool, but they, they can't blow teams out of the water with their you know transfer spending. You're seeing it at the moment with Mo Salah trying to get a new contract at an FSG cut from a similar cloth to uh, the Glazer family in terms of having control of finances and obviously it's no coincidence that they were sort of bedfellows for the Super League um, sort of coup and that was something that you know I think Ed Woodward you know realised you know he stepped down amid all that and we, we, we can't sort of forget his role in that you know he will have one version of, of what happened there's other people it's amazing that we've not mentioned it till now I, th- I throw it in at the end just a little yeah. little remember this one because that is ultimately <laughs> why he's stepping down that is the reason you know he, he would he would be in position right now if the Super League wasn't um, brought to you know attempted fulfilment uh, and then it, you know it crashed down now you know his version is that he felt that he couldn't abide by it the, you know the no relegation situation um, over that weekend when you know the owners said we're going to press ahead with this. Other people say actually it was different and that he realised you know it wasn't going to happen. It was falling apart and he'd been such a key part of that that he needed to step away. And you know there's that uh, meeting with Boris Johnson where there's lots of intrigue about what that was entailing and, and did he realise that the government would actually come out so strongly against it? But that is the reason why he's stepping down. And so. You know, you can't forget that. But at the same time, from a football point of view, that's kind of in the past now. Um, you know, rumblings still go on, but it seems like, you know, no one want to go near that 
with the barge pole from England at the moment. So from a football point of view, it's going to be the Premier League, it's going to be the Champions League where United will be asking, can we win this? I mean, you look at it and think, <laughs> Champions League, they've, they've kind of got a better chance. Well, they've definitely got a better chance in that than the Premier League. But, you know, it's not beyond the realms that they go on some streaky run and, and, and kind of sort of fluke a win in that, really. OK, maybe I'm I'm clasping at straws, but imagine that as a sort of welcome to um, the chief exec role for, for Richard Arnold. But there's, there's a lot of issues and... You know, from all accounts, he works you know tirelessly. He flies all over the world to have these personal face to faces with his sponsors to kind of make sure that he's getting you know good deals from them and, and they're feeling you know valued. And you can't you know people can dismiss the commercial side of things, but that is ultimately why United can actually still spend the amount of money they spend. You know, they they, they do they can compete with Man City in terms of level of spending. It's just that they've spent it badly a lot of the time. So that is the one area where he will either need to be better at himself or actually give people that are better the real governance to go and do it and the autonomy which is what they're saying they're going to do yes the car wash is well and truly on isn't it if we bring it back to the start of the podcast um, of course all the very latest and best coverage of Manchester United is on the athletic now and will be on the athletic in the weeks to come as Richard Arnold begins his work as the new chief executive of Manchester United uh, don't forget you can still get a 33% discount off a subscription to the athletic as well go to theathletic.com forward slash man united pod and the athletic are recording daily transfer shows throughout January as well to bring you exclusive news and insights on any deals that are being done during this window. Potentially outgoings, of course, for Manchester United, but there might be a few incomings. You never know. The only place, of course, you can hear these podcasts is on the Athletic app or by subscribing to the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Start your free trial today. Right, before we go, it's been a very, very, very serious podcast about some very, very serious matters, of course. But one thing, Andy, that we've not mentioned is Laurie's taste of expensive nine pound unpronounceable Tyneside bevies Laurie Whitwell explain yourself I'm glad you brought this up I've heard that you've been giving me some shit yeah for drinking rat piss but I'll, I'll, I'll let I'll let you have your say I will not stand by and, and let this happen Andy uncultured listen anyone that's ever had De Serrano Amaretto on ice it's beautiful De Serrano's warm and sensual taste makes you wish it would never end of a night after a disappointing 1-1 draw at St James's Park you just need that to take the edge off is that what it was Amaretto exactly you've heard of it haven't you Ian Andy I, I, I was not expecting it to be that boring to be honest that's all it was it, it was pricey it was in the hotel lobby and I don't know they must have seen United coming because they uh, they obviously ramped up the prices so that's where Andy that's why Andy's feeling the bruise basically he was very generous and he said I'll get the round in and then when the bill came he was like oh. uh, but anyway I enjoyed it <laughs> I got you one back, didn't I? Andy was on the old Bex. (laughs) I was having a a beer, which people ask for in bars in Newcastle. Can I have a beer, please? What do you want, mate? Can I have a Serrano? Isn't Serrano ham, by the way? Uh, No, Serrano. Oh, sorry. I'm not up to... You've been in Spain too long, mate. I'm not up to brands of rat piss, which he was drinking. But he enjoyed it, and I'm happy for him to enjoy it. I I just needed some clarification. Yeah, he's clarified it, I think. Was it a double then for nine quid? I think it must have been, yeah. I think they... They don't ask, do they? They just sort of pour you a double and then charge you afterwards. But I'd just been convinced of it because there was a, a Geordie down the bar from us and, it, and he ordered it. And I thought, oh, that, that, that tickles me fancy, actually. Um, Andy knows I'm not much of a beer drinker. We know that I like to lemonade my drinks up with a bit of, 
you know, so shan- not Fanta then. Not, beer, not no? Fanta. No, they didn't have Fanta this time, but it was a nice shandy that I usually go for. But I thought I'd just treat myself. Well, Andy could treat me. I'm glad you've had the opportunity to clarify that, Laurie, considering the uh, the Th- banter that was coming your way from Andy. I appreciate the right of reply. Right, well, we'll see how the FA Cup tie against Aston Villa goes, won't we, next week? We'll be back to review that, of course, on Talk of the Devils. And we might all need a Disserano after that, maybe, on the rocks, a double for £9. And the drinks are on Andy. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. The Athletic.